Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, one of the Pentagon's biggest money problems isn't its bottom line, and a deep dive on GSA's contracting strategies. It's Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. First, a programming note, the Daily Scoop podcast will observe Veterans Day on Friday. You'll get a new show tomorrow, then a new Daily Scoop podcast again Monday, November 14th. Salesforce is the connected platform that powers government health services. Salesforce helps public entities engage with their health constituents on a single intelligent platform to improve care outcomes from anywhere. Learn more at sfdc.co slash PSH. The Defense Department has a future year's defense program problem. It's a money problem, but not just a bottom line money problem. Todd Harrison is senior vice president and head of research at Metria. Todd, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What is the problem as you define it in a three fit up challenge? Welcome. Hey, thanks, Francis. You know, I would define the problem as uh, DOD has got to meet its immediate needs right now in the next fight up, the next five year planning period while also positioning itself to build the future force that it needs to keep pace with long-term challenges, particularly China, thinking ahead three fight-ups from now. So looking into the, you know, the early to mid-2030s, what is the force, what are the capabilities you need to have at that time, and what do you need to be doing now to build those capabilities so that they're ready at that time? That, that's the problem is how do you meet your immediate needs while also preparing for the future within, you know, whatever budget constraints you get, it's still going to be hard. You write uh, recently that Deputy Secretary Hicks notes the challenge is finding, quote, a viable pathway through that middle period to eventually reach the force and vision for the future. Why is that middle period the problematic time frame that she points out? Well, you know, that, that middle period, so looking at the later part of this decade uh, from about fiscal year 28 uh, going out to 32, that is a period where a lot of the major modernization programs that are in the works right now are going to be kind of at their peak, uh, at their peak funding requirements. Um, you know, th- this is the modernization bow wave that we've all been talking about and anticipating for a number of years, well, that that bow wave is going to be cresting. And a lot of what that modernization bow wave, those big programs are going to do, is really just replace aging equipment that we have today. It's not really about fielding new capabilities. It's about fielding, you know, just newer versions uh, of equipment that, that accomplish essentially the same missions in the same way. For those innovative future capabilities to field a future force uh, that's envisioned, that's going to be additional financial strain above and beyond that modernization bow wave. And so that's where I think it's going to be tricky for the Pentagon to navigate through that that middle period there. Well, I would argue that the difficulty, not the difficulty, another difficulty the department will face is what you write about in this overview of the FY23 budget request and this report that 
you're putting out, and we'll link to it at thedailyscooppodcast.com, features a, a photo of Secretary Austin and the Undersecretary of Defense Comptroller, Mike McCord. You reference Secretary, uh, Deputy Secretary Hicks a number of times in this work. The challenge they're up against is, in that overview of the FY23 request that you write about, we don't have any idea what that entails, what that includes, what that provides for, let alone thinking about the first FIDA and what the middle one might be in the third one there's the strategic possibilities here are really difficult aren't they they are they are and, and you know another compounding factor in all of this is just trying to support the force that we have the operation and sustainment costs of the force historically are growing much faster than inflation if you look at this budget request um, first of all, the fastest growing area of the budget over the next five years is military personnel cost, and they probably underestimated it. In fact, they, they almost certainly did. Um, for example, you know, looking forward at what they were projecting for pay raises uh, in the future, uh, the pay raise that they put in this budget request for FY24, I believe it was 2.6%. We just got the latest um, uh, employment cost index data. The pay raise for FY24 is actually going to be 5.2%, right? So, you know, they, you know, they're way under in their estimates of how fast military personnel costs are actually going to grow in future years. Uh, no fault there. I mean, you were in, in a you know, difficult economic environment to predict these things, but, you know, fastest growing area of the budget is probably going to grow even faster than already projected. And if you look at the operation and maintenance part of the budget, it's essentially flat in nominal terms over five years, which when you adjust for inflation, that's a, a real decline. Uh, you know, if you're trying to maintain, you know, the same size force, roughly the same size force overall, there's no way to do that. Uh, what we have seen historically is that operation and maintenance costs tend to grow about 2.6% above inflation annually when you're maintaining the same size force. So, you know, they've got a lot of challenges there in the budget uh, that are eating away, you know, at the overall DOD top line, uh, you know, completely separate and apart from modernization and innovation and trying to build those future capabilities. There's no way to predict, obviously, what inflation can look like at some future point. And I wonder, I, I certainly understand the need to go about devising some sort of strategy uh, now for the future. You can't just throw up your hands and say, well, since we can't predict, we're not going to try. But I wonder what the implication of that is for trying to think about what a fiscal 27 or fiscal 33 budget looks like. Yeah, it makes it incredibly challenging. I think that, you know, what DOD has got to do is just say, look, you know, this is the desired endpoint uh, at the end of this fight up, at the end of the second fight up, at the end of the third fight up. This is what where we want to get to in terms of the technology, in terms of the capabilities in our force, in terms of the capacity of our force, level of readiness, things like that. Uh, and, and do your best to estimate what resources are necessary for it and keep variables in there um, in that analysis for, okay, well, what if inflation is higher? What if labor rates are higher, right? And have a dynamic strategic plan that you can continue to adjust and update as you go. That's really the only viable way to do this. How much of this is up to the department to determine what it needs to do and how much of this is up to Congress? You have an extensive segment in here and we'll walk through it in a moment 
about what Congress's next steps are, but how much belongs to where? Well, it's up to DOD to plan uh, and to build the case and all of the details but ultimately it's all up to Congress. Congress can legislate on virtually everything uh, if they choose to. Uh, how much Congress chooses to legislate uh, and take control away from DOD on some of these big decisions uh, is really a function of you know, not just partisan control. A lot of these things are not partisan issues though. Uh, it's really a matter of how much detail and how much of a uh, compelling case DOD makes to Congress when they present that budget request and when they go and testify uh, and meet with members of Congress to discuss their detailed plans, right? So they've got to do a sales job, not just once, but year after year to keep Congress on board with what their plans are or to try to win their support for things like divesting legacy weapon systems. And whoever is in place in uh, fiscal 24, 25, 26, whether it's Secretary Austin and his team, whether it's a new Biden administration team or whether it's a new uh, administration team of another president, have to continue to do that too in some form of sequential continuity, right? That, that's right. And, you know, I think one credit to our system uh, is that even though we've had some pretty big uh, swings politically in terms of who's in the White House and what administration is in charge from the Obama administration to the Trump administration to the Biden administration, the core tenets of our strategy, the core focus of our strategy uh, has really been, you know, a linear progression, right? That it has been increasingly more and more about China as what they're now calling the pacing threat, great power competition. Russia is also, you know, as they're calling it now, an acute threat. That has been a, a pretty linear progression over time. I'm pretty confident that that will continue regardless of what administration, you know, wins in the, the 2024 presidential election. I think that some of the detailed plans, though, are going to change and they should evolve as more information you know, comes out, as we understand better how technologies are maturing uh, and how threats are changing. We should be adjusting that plan as we go. Uh, and you've got to leave yourself enough wiggle room within the budget to do that. And of course, Congress is going to keep weighing in year after year. And some things that you may want to do, Congress may throw a wrench in it and say, yeah, I'm not going to let you do that. I mean, you got to find a way to work around it. All right. I mentioned at the beginning that this is a money problem, but not just a top line problem. And we talked about inflation a little bit, but this is the reason that I said that, Todd. You write, while a higher top line budget will ease many of DOD's problems, particularly the effects of inflation, higher labor costs and immediate operational needs, it does not address the three foot of challenge DOD faces. And it strikes me that there's so many variables that will actually uh, address that, that will ease that problem. Yeah, you know, I guess what I'm really saying is you can't just buy yourself out of the problem. You can't buy your way out of it, spend your way out of the problem. Ultimately, you know, how much money you have to spend is clearly important for defense, but how you spend it is even more important. And so that's where the department and the Congress have got to get to a consensus on what are we going to divest? Uh, what are we going to invest in? Uh, and how do we prioritize those things going forward? Todd Harrison, great conversation as always, and uh, thanks very much for joining me today.
Thanks, Francis. You can find a link to Todd's work in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Salesforce brings the public sector and customers together in the digital age. To access the new Veteran Mental Health and Resiliency Resources module, go to trailhead.salesforce.com. The General Services Administration has big milestones coming in several of their biggest contract vehicles. Two leaders of those vehicles detailed their progress at ELC 2022. Tiffany Hickson is Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Professional Services and Human Capital Categories at the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. Laura Stanton is Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology Category at FAST GSA. I asked Tiffany first what her priority list includes. I've been really focused internally at GSA and helping us to govern and really improve all of our services offerings in a much more structured way. Um, Traditionally, we had kind of gone down our silos and worked on our different procurements and done tool development and that kind of thing separately. Um, And we've really worked hard over the last year to put in a governance structure where really all of leadership uh, from across FAST comes together and starts to think through, along with their their team members, how we can improve services contracting mm-hmm. for all of us. How do you how do you determine amongst yourselves who gets which ones when there are case like you just mm-hmm. alluded to, where an IT service might be IT and it might be what's the de- line of delineation? How does that? It really just has to do with the primary focus, mm. right, of the acquisition vehicle. But uh, in terms of our services marketplace governance structure, um, Laura and I are actually co-chairs. So we share yeah. um, and spend a lot of time working with our customers on really what is the right kind of contract vehicle for the services they need. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's non-IT services uh, is taking the lead and IT is really just playing a supporting role and vice versa. Um, so we really, we don't see it as an as an or, it's really an and. Oh, of course. That's that's great. That's the way it should be. Um, what, uh, what are the trends that you're seeing? What are your customers asking you? Or what should they be asking you that they're not? Those kinds of things, Tiffany. Uh, I think the trends that we're seeing is, you know, you keep thinking that we're going to top out, right, in terms of the spend in the services space. And I think this year is going to be another really banner year and record-breaking year in terms of spend for services in both the IT services space and non-IT services space. So there continues to be a real need uh, for GSA to meet those requirements. Uh, and those um, needs have really evolved over the last 10 years. And I think with the next generation of services contract vehicles, you're seeing both from the IT category and uh, the professional services category, you're going to see some features in those contracts that are a lot more flexible, Mm -hmm. and I think are really going to better meet the needs of federal agencies based on what we've been hearing from them. How is the evolution of technology to automation and some of the other kind of cutting edge technologies that agencies want, how's that impacting the way that you're developing the vehicles by which the agencies can get those things. I think what you're going to see and what you do see actually in in all of the new contract vehicles that uh, Laura's organization and I um, are sponsoring um, is we are no longer pricing at the master contract level, right? Mm -hmm. We are really looking to competition at the task order level to drive those solutions. Um, Almost all of the contracting work that happens in particular for the larger procurements are all integrated. 
Um, and you really have to allow, allow flexibility at the task order level uh, for uh, industry to be able to provide really the most robust um, and best priced uh, solutions uh, that generally include both. Mm-hmm. What are your big pieces? What are your big vehicles, right? I got a list of them here to ask Laura about. <laughs> well, mine is all wrapped up into one right ah. now. Uh, and it's called Oasis Plus. You yep. may have heard about that. Yes. Um, it did take us a while to name it. Um, so it's had a, a couple of different generations of names, but we've settled on Oasis Plus. And that name, I think, really reflects. Um, we have our current legacy Oasis uh, contract program, which is really, really popular uh, with agencies. And they really found find a lot of value in using it. So we really wanted to take the best parts of that contract program mm-hmm. uh, and then really add some new features to it based on what we learned from the first generation of it. Uh, so we are just in the early phases of starting to roll out the draft RFPs. We're going to be talking about it here at the conference uh, tomorrow uh, and talking about what those features are. We're pretty excited about it. Now, for, Plus. for the person that's listening to this conversation, it's after tomorrow. So you will have already said out loud out there what those features are. Well, we've actually been engaging uh, industry over the last year uh, and have been sending out small packages and saying, okay, here's part of the the RFP. What do you think about this? Uh, We've been working very closely with the Small Business Administration and small business community to make sure that we're setting up the contract Mm -hmm. to best meet the needs of small business. So this isn't actually going to be a surprise tomorrow, um, but we are getting pretty serious about, okay, industry, it's really time to engage as we move towards uh, issuing the final RFP in the uh, February timeframe. All right, we're going to look forward to that. And it's great to learn about that. And I will listen very carefully tomorrow. So I can tell people um, what they can expect. Um, Laura, I mentioned I have a list of them here. And we've talked about them before. Um, Why don't you Tell me which ones you want to start with, because I could just go on all afternoon asking you about uh, a, a number of them. You you could. However. <laughs> <laughs> you won't allow it. That's the nicest possible way of saying I won't have that. That's fine. I, I, I you know, would like to prioritize. Yes. And so I think starting with the Alliant 3, we released the draft RFP very in, the, in mid-October. Mm-hmm. And also... Um, we're starting a roadshow to really talk about some of those key attributes of the draft RFP and share what's going on with industry. We're leaving it open um, for 75 days up until the first part of January, and that's really designed to give people time to digest it and give us thoughtful feedback on it. Now, as a Rat Pack fan, I know what roadshow, what the image of that is in my head. I think it's probably different than what a GSA roadshow is. Very likely. <laughs> I fully expect that it is. <laughs> what does it entail for a contract vehicle? For a contract vehicle, it, it entails getting out in front of industry in multiple venues, and really um, some of them in person, some of them virtual, and really taking the time to walk through and give the background on what's different in the Draft Alliant 3 What's um, what's the same from from Alliant Two? What did we keep that worked? What did we what did we evolve? And really giving people a chance to fully understand it and then offer us that feedback. This this is really where I would also like to ask anyone in industry to take the time to take a close look at that. It's our next generation GWAC, and 
give us the feedback. If you like something, tell us if you like it. If you dislike it, then please explain, you know, what would work. And so that's really the call to action that I have for your listeners. All right. Speaking of feedback, you've gotten a lot of feedback on Polaris. Tell me about what you're doing with that feedback and how you want to continue to try to refine it, make it better so that it's something that that people are going to use and and get value out of. Absolutely. So Polaris, um, I think many, many people know that we, when we originally released it, we did receive quite a bit of thoughtful feedback. And this was at a, at, at a final RFP. So what we did is we, uh, we paused and we suspended the due date and we said, let's, let's hear from the community. And then what we did with that is we took that feedback, we began working with our stakeholders inside of government, small business administration, and really came up with a path that was somewhat different than what we had originally put out there. And we put that out for comment, and which is also highly unusual in the middle of an active RFP to pause, get comments, and then we, we made a final, some final decisions and re-released the RFP. So... Um, at this point, the uh, small business and the uh, women-owned small business pools have closed. We still have the service-disabled small business and the hub-zone business um, pools that are open until until November through Nove- mid-November, I think. And so we're we're still looking for those proposals to be coming in. Laura Stanton of GSA, along with Tiffany Hickson at ELC 2022. You can read more about those contract vehicles in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is back tomorrow. I'm Francis Rose. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening.